0: you're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. If you're listening, you probably noticed that this already sounds different to our normal uh, podcast or normal sermon that we do on a Sunday, and uh, that's because it is. Uh, on Sunday at Burley Heads Church of Christ, we had a what we called an invitation to change the conversation. Uh, it was a primarily given to our 9.45 service. We have two services here at the church, 8.30 and 9.45. And it was an invitation towards unity and towards the lost. And uh, I was quite emotional. Um, And so I'm actually, the reason we're doing this is uh, because we actually couldn't find the recording of the sermon and so many people wanted to hear it. But I'm also kind of glad because I can regather my thoughts and be crystal clear about where we're heading and what is going on um, under less stressful circumstances. And so really, really happy to share. And um, if you're new to this podcast, if you're uh, if you're just joining us today, um, yeah, really hope that this is encouraging for you as well. Let me read from our passage that was Luke 15. Uh, Jesus, surrounded by people, the Pharisees and sinners, and he's uh, teaching them... Um, and we just want to explore what he does here. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and, this, and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger one of them said to the father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine, rose in a country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants had more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and gave to his father, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and now alive again. He was lost and now is found, and began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in a field, and he came and drew near the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, These many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. You you never gave me a single goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him and he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and alive. He was lost and is now found. God's been doing something in our small community here in Burley Heads, Queensland, the um, last couple of months. And uh, it's part of the reason that this sermon was so, could be so challenging, and could be so encouraging, or could be a bit of both. And I just want to start by unpacking the very first couple of lines here in Luke 15. Very interesting. As, as, as said, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near. And as so said, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. This man eats with sinners and receives them. The Pharisees get a bad rap in the Bible um, constantly. This, this poor group are literally the people, if you don't know, that kept the Torah alive, the law, God's law, under increasing persecution from Rome. They were the church leaders of the time, in a time of poverty, in a time that the nation's identity was being swallowed up, in a time that's hinted in this very parable where uh, people's land would actually be taken from them because of the debt, the incredible debt they owed. And then they'd get hired back the own land that God had given their ancestors. And so they'd be working on a farm for nothing or plotting a field that used to be theirs. Uh, Incredible pressure and uh, this looming Roman government on top of them. And, 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 And amongst this, there's these Pharisees or these church leaders trying to do their best to keep God's law alive. And they do all types of things. They create a fence around the law. And what I mean by that, it's not a physical fence, but they if, if the law said, do not, uh, do not run or do not walk briskly, <laughs> the Pharisees would add the fence that said, uh, don't even walk um, in case you walk briskly, in case you run. And so they would make these laws upon laws. And at first there's a heart just to obey God. And then obviously, uh, as if you've read, it turns into just religious law. But the poor guys get this bad rap. And it's not unfair on unbiblical to say Jesus uh, certainly definitely doesn't hate the Pharisees. In fact, as a rabbi and a teacher of that time, you may wonder why half his conversations are with these, this group called the Pharisees. And it's obvious it's because he loves them. And from the outside, he's probably identified as part of that sect. People may even see him as part of the Pharisees' group. That's why he openly debates them. They are his people. He's hardest on the ones that should know better. And so they get this bad rap. But because of persecution, because of the harder times they endure, because they're struggling to keep their identity, their ways, their homes, their land, they start to lose sight of what mattered and start to make the non-main things the main things. They build laws upon laws. They add ways to the ways of Yahweh. Not at first to create work, but it certainly goes that way. And so then when Jesus arrives, he's got to be the most frustrating dude. <laughs> the most horrible thing to happen to this group. Because he doesn't do what they want. He prioritizes his time with the wrong people according to them. He doesn't take seriously the things they take seriously. He couldn't care less about their rituals, or seemingly couldn't care less. It would be debated that he he cares more, but he keeps challenging their heart. He doesn't really seem to be listening to their safety net or their fence they've put in place. He eats on the Sabbath, he heals on the Sabbath, he just doesn't listen. And although he was exactly what they had been praying for, what they needed, he wasn't what they wanted. And right there, we see him right here in this passage. As they grumble, this man receives sinners' needs. He doesn't do what we want. He changes the conversation and he gives them a parable. Not even debating that very issue, not even addressing their grumbling, hearing it, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not even understanding. I'm not even going to deal with that. And he changes the conversation. They want to talk about the sinners he eats with. And he says, we aren't going to talk about that today. That's not the point of my message. Burley Church of Christ two years ago uh, was in a bit of a pickle as many churches across Australia find themselves in. Many are closing their doors or hemorrhaging Young people, as uh, one quote I heard recently. The, uh, particularly, this was true for Burley. Two years ago, the budgets were getting tight, so much so that the minister at the time uh, didn't take the recommended wage increases. wasn't me, it was a minister previous to me to keep things going. The age that the church were getting ill, too ill to come to church, and some even passing away. The leadership, the board was shaken and there was a lot of unseen disunity and infighting. And uh, Burley Church of Christ did something different. It fought back. It it, it was obvious that after 40 years of ministry here on the Gold Coast, it was not going to go quietly into the night. It was not going to let the enemy take it down. And so it was obvious that people grabbed a hold of what they knew and loved and protected it as a mother, like a mother protecting its young which is totally understandable. If you were here when the budget dropped, then you counted every dollar and you protected it. If you were in charge of the op shop here, the kitchen, a certain program, then you were not going to let it drop without a fight. And the church did something that most churches would never have the boldness to do. Instead of hiring at the, at the end of this two years or the start of this two years, a youth pastor to try to fix the generational issues. They realized that this would just be a band-aid to an open wound. Instead, they changed the top level. They changed the senior pastors. As the 72-year-old senior pastor retired, they, they went with a risky 32-year-old minister and some families that came over 26 people from our sister church, Southport Church of Christ. And like a helicopter, in, in the middle of the night, they dropped 26 people into this group. This group protecting what they loved and knew. And I reckon the Monday after the first Sunday, I thought, what? Everybody, 26 people in the existing congregation thought, what have we done? Some of the stories from that early early couple of months. The uh, guest book now had red pen right across and these bold, uh, cryptic words had aria written across it. Um, happens to be the same name as my four-year-old daughter. The toilet suddenly become a lot messier as little girls and little boys started using it. The pastor was talking about Facebook and Instagram and he had an incredibly high and incredibly fast voice. <laughs> the gate that was open was now shut. There was now a playground that popped up overnight. The op shop was changing. The, strong, uh, the songs sorry, were strange I love this line I hear so often about music in church. They say, Today's music is so self-focused. And look, I get it. I somewhat agree. Uh, Hymns and worship has always been based off modern day pop songs of the time. And so modern day pop songs are in a generation of iPods and iPhones and my individual playlists. And so, yes... Modern-day worship can lean towards a little bit of an individualistic tone. so Sometimes too far as to say self-focused. But the line I hear across generations quite often is, I don't like the songs today. They're so focused. Sorry. They're so self-focused, I don't like it. And I can't help but think of the irony of that line. They're so self-focused, I don't like it. (laughs) We had young people calling the bread... The Holy Bread of Communion crackers. Which it is, but still can come across irreverent and disrespectful to the Holy Communion. And then questions were asked about this 26 people. Were they the minister's friends? How many of them, why do they seem so related? (laughs) How come my pictures off the wall have gone... How come there's no cake left for morning tea, but that kid looks like he's had seven pieces? How come they hand out communion differently? How come that mum who, who was thinking about her three kids spilling hot coffee all over that person walked straight past me? Does she hate me? How come that person, that older person, just told me off for not doing that thing properly? Does he hate me? Why is this happening? Let's take a moment. These feelings aren't evil. These feelings are very, very real. There was real loss here after the last two years. There was, there was real hurt. Things in the last two years have been handled both extremely well, at times really badly, and then sometimes just somewhere in the middle. Hurt has been both ways. I tell you a couple of things, not to tell you complaints or to whinge, but just to be completely transparent at this point in our journey. I've been told multiple times in the last two years that I've been doing a bad job. Within a month of being here, I was told I was making lots of mistakes. I've been asked way too many times if I'm a qualified minister. And one person asked or hinted early on if I was doing the work of God or something else. I think they were implying Satan. I'm not sure. I tell you this not to complain, but to sit with you and go... The last two years have been rough, have been huge. And most of all, maybe this morning or this afternoon, whatever time you're listening to this, maybe that thing that if you're here at this church that you have been protecting, maybe that thing that you held onto and you were entrusted with, that thing that you clinged onto to protect the ministry of this church has now been changed moved or even worse spiritually or physically put in the skip who's felt that i want to encourage us this morning let's take a note right from the bible right from jesus let's change the conversation two years in let's change the conversation question being, what is the conversation we're changing to? Well, three stories that Jesus gives us here. Three stories. 3 They're not direct rules. How frustrating. They're not direct law. But they are about a heart change, a direction. They're parables. They're meant to be uh, speaking to the heart. Uh, sometimes it's frustrating parables because they're not direct instructions. Rather, they're asking for a posture, a position, a direction, a heart change. And so we have a story about a shepherd that leaves the 99 of his flock for the lost one. Puts it on his shoulders, leaves them at risk because he knows they're secure to find the lost one. And then he has a party upon their return. Jesus encourages us to rejoice as the ones are found. The second one's a lady. Again, in a time where most Pharisees were praying and thanking God they weren't women. In a time of oppression of women Jesus even in a completely different teaching takes a moment to be quite diverse in who he speaks about and so I just love this it's not the main point of the sermon this morning but he um, again he talks about a woman throws her into the mix a lady and uh, a, a, a lady who works all night to clean her house now I can't speak for this lady, but I know when my wife um, says she's going to clean the house. Especially, we've had three kids rather fast in the last four or five years. And so when she's pregnant and she says she's going to clean the house, um, that normally means I come home and everything but the front door has been moved around. Especially when she's been nesting. Uh, the catches The meantime, I'm just trying something. The TVs and they're hanging from a different place and the kids' rooms are completely different. Uh, that's sometimes what it means when my wife says she's going to have a little bit of a clean of the house. <laughs> and so I get this picture that this lady, when she's finding, trying to find this uh, coin in the middle of the night, she is rearranging furniture. She doesn't care where it used to sit. She's sweeping and cleaning and in a haste all night. As she's, It says she's by candlelight. She has a lamp. Just to find this single coin because it's precious. It's worth it. It doesn't matter where the stuff, the couch used to be. All that matters is this coin. And then again, she has a party. Jesus talks an awful lot through all his teaching. And there's a lot in the Old Testament about having a party. But here you go again, she has a party. And then he gets direct. And he talks about two sons, Jesus does. And and I'm going to get super direct as well. And at the risk and a bit cheeky as well as I talk about the older and the younger son. And I want to reference the older son and maybe reference him to our 945 older generation and traditional service. The faithful one that has been serving the father all this time. And then the younger son who is lost, frustrating, and selfish. Let's call him the 830 service. And then the father comes, sacrifices the family cow in order to celebrate again party and welcome the lost home. Understandably, the older gets upset because that was his cow, his work, his right, his church, his style, his ways of doing things, his multiple purpose room, his op shop, his songs. But the father, he reveals his heartbeat. doesn't matter if he has to change it all, sacrifice it all, if it means bringing the lost home it's not a spite thing it's not a deliberately offensive thing because listen to this line and I really want this the 945 service to hear this line and own it son or daughter you are always with me all that is mine is yours was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Listeners, our treasure, our hope, our joy, our strength, our lives are not found in style, comfort, ritual, or religious practice. Let me say that again. Our treasure, our hope, our joy, our strength, our lives are not found in style, comfort, ritual, or religious practice. This is the end of a two-year conversation, church. Because Jesus changes it. Jesus tells us our treasure is found in Jesus. <laughs> our hope in Jesus. Our hope is found in Jesus. And our lives are lived to bring others into his joy, his hope, and his life. Let me say that again. Jesus tells us our treasure is found in Jesus. Our hope is found in Jesus. And our lives are I live to bring others into his joy, his hope, and his life. If you don't know Jesus and you've stumbled across this podcast this morning, then find someone that does and get them to introduce you to him. Because he's worth being your treasure and your hope. And he's worth telling others about. This is why Burley Heads Church of Christ exists. This is our conversation of any Christian, any follower of Jesus. We have a vision statement here at this church to be an inclusive, ever-growing, unifying family table that brings glory to God. And so let's get practical here. What does this look like? You may ask. Well, let's take a page from Jesus. It'd be unhelpful to give you a big list of rules because we want this to be a heart change, not a law. This can't be articulated or given a policy. Rather, we need to understand the picture or understand that that our hearts need to move a different way. Our conversation needs to change. So I've got a modern day parable, if you will. About a week ago on the weekend that we had the Gold Coast mayor here, many of you noticed my wife wasn't at church. She was actually in hospital with uh, my son Noah had some asthma over the weekend, some bad asthma over the weekend. And so... We went to church on a pretty big weekend and uh, we also knew there was a possibility that it was a hospitality lunch straight after that, that we had organized in a sense that we had been behind that this is something we want to do as a church and so if Noah wasn't getting out, I was going to do my best to bring my two girls and go along to the tree's house. And uh, it all aligned and we ended up going. Now the girls were tired, they hadn't seen their mum for three days, she'd been in hospital. I hadn't seen their brother for three days. I hadn't seen my wife for three days. We were tired. We had just had a massive service. And we told Meryl, Tree that we would um, pop in for just a little bit and have lunch with her and a few others. We got there to find that she'd set up a kid's table. Meryl doesn't have kids. Well, has kids, but they've grown up. Her grandkids are grown up. And so I'm not sure where she got a kids' table from. But she had one. She had colouring in pens and colouring in at the kids' table. She didn't stop fussing over the kids. she had made them green jelly for dessert. She'd made them specialised plates and food for lunch. And she allowed them to sit afterwards and watch a DVD and she'd got some toys from a friend she'd borrowed some toys from a friend because she knew that other people's toys are way better than their own and they had a ball in what was an extremely hard weekend for me and my family we were made felt welcome and not just welcome, not just the door opened and not just a place to sit but Meryl had actively gone out of her way to bring these kids in had sacrificed her time where she could have been talking to her peers, me and other adults and actually spent some time making these young kids welcome and then by the end her and a few others packed up some of the leftover lunch and gave it to us to bring home for dinner as my wife was coming home from hospital with Noah she made room at the table, she went out of her way out of her way to bring them in That's what I believe our church should look like towards the lost. If we love them, if we're focused on them, it will cost us. It will mean rearranging the house. It will mean sacrificing Bessie the cow. It will mean going out and sometimes the 99 feeling deserted. But it means bringing them in, making them feel loved, and showing them the love of Jesus. And so super practically, as we finish off this morning, this church is going to focus on a couple of things. Because sometimes we make Sunday, we try to make Sunday our entire Christian walk. And you may be asking what's Sunday going to be about. Well, it's not going to be our entire Christian walk because we have six other days. Rather, well, we're going to look at it two different ways. We're going to focus on small tables. What I mean by that, you might call them small groups. Essentially, like Jesus is twelve. Uh, we're going to focus on that intimate relationship where we can pray with each other, laugh and cry with each other, be able to share in birthdays and life stories and experiences. Not meant for a Sunday, but meant for other times during the week. We can open the word together. We can actually get that time. Sometimes over the last two years, we've made Sunday about that. It just excludes. And it wasn't what it was designed for. So we're going to have a big look and more, more talking about to come. Um, But we're going to have a look at small tables. Many small tables that will build the foundation of what we'll then call our large tables. A time of celebrating. Our large table on a Sunday won't need to be our full faith in one service. It won't need to be all connection, all Bible teaching, everything we like all at once. Because no Sunday can carry that. That's what the week is for. Rather, Sunday should be the party. The party that each of these stories finish in. Where we celebrate the loss that have returned. A service that we could potentially invite our grandchildren and children and friends to. And feel comfortable beside them. And so super practically church, this is an invitation towards the 10th of March. Where we are going to become a combined service again. No more 8.30, no more 9.45, but a a 9am combined service celebration. And Steve, you say, look, the Merrill story was lovely, but what exactly does that mean? What exactly does that look like? And how's this for an answer? Oh, I don't know. Uh, as a vision, it'll probably look like last combined service we had with Tom Tate. It'll look like the picture of Merrill welcoming the new generation in. It'll certainly lean towards the youth and the lost, the next generation, whom we're passing the baton on, making disciples of. But regardless, that's not the question we're asking anymore. That's not the conversation. We're not talking to each other about the list we want Sunday, the things we want God to do, the things we don't like. Grumbling, if you will. Jesus is clear here. He says his question is not, what do I get? (laughs) But how are you growing deeper into relationship with me? And are you doing everything possible to bring the lost home? Let me say that one more time. Jesus changes the conversation and asks these questions. How are you growing deeper into relationship with me? And are you doing everything possible to bring my lost home? If you are someone that serves within the 945, you're on a roster and we're going to change things around. We still want you to use your gifts. You're still part of the family. Of course, there's compromise. We're a multi-generational church. That will lean towards the lost and the youth. Please come have a chat to me. Please be flexible as we continue to seek God in this new season. All is invited to the family table. Lastly, I ask the, my last invitation in this is, and I heard this from a, a good friend of mine that's a youth pastor down the road. He, he asked people, he asked his youth leaders the question, "Do they want to be a thermostat or a thermometer?" It might even be a Bill Hybels reference. But I love this image as we ask ourselves what our part in this is. Are we a thermometer? Are we just measuring the temperature as we change to one service and we, we figure out what we're doing? Are you going to be a thermometer? Are you going to just measure that, oh, I don't think people are incredibly happy or I don't think we had enough hymns or, or I don't really like the picture. they People are saying they don't really like the color of the wall. and Are you just going to measure the temperature? Or are you going to be a thermostat? Are you going to set the temperature are you going to notice the young people coming people getting baptized people growing deeper relationships with jesus people being encouraged and challenged and you're going to lean over to your friends and go have you seen this have you seen that have you invited them have you welcomed them isn't this fantastic isn't this worth celebrating we're looking for more thermostats than thermometers in this next season Father, thank you so much for this community. Thank you for anyone that might be listening this morning. I pray that this different form and different way of doing a sermon over a podcast is still able to reach or still able to give your truth, Lord, that you've revealed to us. Father, pray you've used these words and anything that's from you will stick with us as we finish off today and that anything that's not will just fall away. Thank you for what you're doing in this small community. Thank you for what you're doing across your church globally, Lord. We pray that you're in all of this and your Holy Spirit continues to stir amongst us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.